we turn back to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, where we've been studying. One more thing I wanted to mention, I was, I forgot to mention a little earlier, is uh, I would encourage you to pray for those who um, actually are here seasonally, and if you want to call them snowbirds or, or chickens of the snow, or whatever you might want to call them. I think this is John and Bonnie's last Sunday, is that correct? That's correct. We heard from them so. in the last couple of weeks, but... So say goodbye, and don't forget to pray for them. Encourage them in your prayers. And uh, John and Marilyn will be... Lead, what's that? Another month. Another month. They're with us. So. And uh, Jim and Joni will be leaving probably about the same time, right? November? Yeah. And, uh, and then Den and Kendra will be going kind of half snowbirds, halfway south, in, uh, in a matter of weeks as well. So... We'll miss them, but I encourage you to keep them in your prayers. Is there a way that God would use them in, uh, in, the, in their winter months and, and bring them back to us um, quickly? Because that means it was a short winter. And um, so keep them in your prayers too. Okay, I didn't want to forget to mention that. Philippians chapter 1, we've been looking at this tremendous passage in regards to the furtherance of the gospel. And that's how Paul started this whole passage and it leads into this tremendous passage, which is often quoted by many a Christian servant. You hear it over and over again in, in regards to verses 20 and 21, which culminate, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a tremendous passage this is to describe for us the, what the Christian life should look like. It, re, it refers to the fact that Christ should be magnified in our bodies. And, the, and in order to accomplish that is to have this mentality to, that we need to get our minds around. What does it mean for me to live is Christ? And that's the essence of the Christian life and the relationship and the standing that we have in him. And last time we looked at the expressions of that mentality of that life. We began looking at them as he says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I'll be ashamed. That was the first thing we looked at that last time. But with all boldness, the second thing, as always, Christ will be third thing, magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And so he mentions these three things in regards to, to the living out of, the, of our Christian lives and our Christian testimonies before him and describing what it means for us to say, for to me to live is Christ. And we looked at the first one last time briefly, the fact that Paul says, I hope in nothing to be ashamed. And we recognize that that shame wasn't just in regards to witnessing. And we all need more boldness in our witnessing, don't we? But I think it was more than that. In the context of Christ being magnified in my body, we, we recognize, in fact, some versions seem to word it that way in their translations. It seems to indicate more so um, being, not bringing reproach to the cause of Christ. Allowing nothing in my life that would cause others to think less of my Savior, so to speak. No, no one that would bring dishonor, nothing that would bring dishonor to his name. And so it really covers more than witnessing, it covers the whole of life, doesn't it? The next thing he mentions here, he says, but with all boldness, Christ may be magnified in my bodies. And once again, I think this is more than just boldness and witnessing. It's kind of the other side of the coin of being ashamed, isn't it? It's more than boldness and witnessing in this context. Its idea here is living Christ in the wide open. It's boldness in life to live as a Christian. The idea is not the approach many Christians take of being an underground Christian, a living in the shadows Christian, but instead a wide open Christian. You might say we as believers need to become comfortable living in our Christian skin. 
so to speak, living what we are in Christ. Or really, in this passage, living our true identity. Because if Paul has said for me to live as Christ, that means his identity was his oneness in relationship with Jesus Christ. And we recognize from the court of the Bible that mankind was created to reflect God's image. It was created in God's image and in his likeness. Well, we know that image was, was marred by sin. When man rebelled against God, sin spoiled that image and, and marred that likeness. Sin took man in the wrong direction in life, made him independent of God, and in fact, made him afraid of God. We see in the garden, Adam and Eve hiding from God, and it created that animosity between God and man. But that's why we celebrate Jesus Christ every day of our lives, don't we? Because God sent him to rescue us from that condition. Because the eternal result of that condition is, eternal, is an eternal separation from God. It's hell. And hell is a very real place. And the Bible tells us that we've all been born of this world as sinners. And the soul that sins, it shall die. And that's a reference not only physical death, but eternal death. But we, we rejoice that Jesus Christ died that death in our place. He died on the cross. He took our hell. He paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven and rescued and restored. And when we are, Colossians 3.10 puts it this way. And we have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. And therefore, whenever, when a person gets saved and becomes a new creation in Christ, we, we once again have a nature within us, the capacity to serve God, a nature that's described as being created in, in the image of him who created him. And so that condition is restored within our, within our hearts and lives. And so once again, we're able to reflect his image, to enjoy his person in our lives. In fact, we know in heaven, for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, that's really what eternity is about. Enjoying his, reflecting his image and likeness and enjoying it for all eternity as we discover the riches of the glory of the person of God reflected in us. But here Paul says, why wait till then? How about now? My desire is now that I'll live that identity with all boldness, with all oldness. I want to live in the light of who I am in Christ, not with shyness or reluctance, not as a second-class citizen in this world, but as the ones who have the truth, the truth of our Creator who set us free to live as He intended us to do. And that's God's desire. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says this, For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And it goes on in that passage to tell us that light is intended to expose the darkness. That's how we should live. Not putting a bushel over our, our lamps, should we? Let's turn to look, look at Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me this morning. And I'm just reminded of this because this is what Paul is saying. And the Lord Jesus put it this way in his wonderful way of communicating. In Matthew 5, verse 13, we find these two analogies. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. So if the Christians have lost their saltiness, so to speak, their effectiveness for, G for Jesus Christ, how else is God going to communicate? He's chosen to communicate his person and the witness of his gospel to you and I. And Unfortunately, in many parts of our world, and even especially in our nation, the salt, that, the, the, the salt is pretty tasteless when it comes to Christianity. We've, we've forgotten this intimacy Paul's describing in Philippians chapter 1 of living Christ, to me to live as Christ. And Jesus Christ has become a spoke of our wheel instead of the hub of our wheel. 
And that when, that, when that happens, we lose our effectiveness as, as, as witnesses for him. You know, I personally believe in Romans chapter 1 where the Bible says that talks about that decline of mankind into moral decadence. When it says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. That was the first step. And I tend to believe that refers to Christians because they're the ones who knew God. They're the ones who knew, know the gospel message. But we don't glorify him as God in our lives. When we don't put him first, when we don't say to Paul, for to me to live is Christ, we begin that or at least contribute to that moral decline of our nation and world. And so Jesus encourages us here to, to retain our saltiness. Now back in Philippians, Paul reminds us that happens through the supply of the Spirit, but it's our decision to yield to him. He goes on to say in verse 14, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill can't be hidden. And that's the point, isn't it? Boldness. Living it openly. Shining as brightly as we can. And that shouldn't be hard today, by the way. It should not be hard to shine for Christ in this darkening, ever-darkening world, is it? Verse 15, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all in a house. Therefore let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's really what Paul is saying, with all boldness. Let your light shine. Live your, live, I want to live my Christian life in the wide open so everybody can see the person of Jesus Christ. He's, that's that's what's his earnest desire going back to Philippians is that people might see Christ and that's what he goes on to say so that Christ will be magnified in my body the third thing in fact he says here in Philippians 1 with all boldness as also so now also as always excuse me as always so now also He's referring to as always, that's the way it's always been my desire, but now also. What's the now also referring to? He was in prison. He was in prison, yet he wasn't going to fail to trust the Lord, to walk the Lord, to recognize God's plan for his life, which at that time included you know, a pit stop in prison. In spite of his circumstances, he's saying, in spite of how bad life could possibly get, none of us would, 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 would put on our bucket list to, to spend some time in a dark, dang prison. With the doors locked. None of us. That's not on our, our, our wish list. That's not how we vision our missionary endeavors or our witness for Christ. But this was God's plan. And Paul says, you know what? In spite of circumstances, I want Christ to be magnified. Just as always, leading up to this point, and now also in this condition, whatever his circumstances, I want Christ to be glorified. You know, this attitude is so far removed from the idea that is popular at times in Christianity that God wants to make us all fat and sassy and rich. That's the mentality of many, the prosperity gospel and others, that God simply delights to make us as comfortable and as rich and wealthy and well-off as possible. Now, God blesses his children, the blessings he knows that we need in our lives. He loves to give good things to us. But the real reward of the believer isn't in our portfolio, pocketbook, or our or our expensive lazy boys. The reward is being burnt out and consumed for Christ. That's the reward. That's what's valuable in the scriptures. That's what makes life count. That's what's important when we come to the end of our lives and look back. We can say with Paul, I finished my course. That's what we want put it on our tombstones. And that's what we want reviewed at the judgment seat of Christ. 
is how were we used. That's what Paul's saying in this passage. He, and he goes on in this passage to talk about staying in, staying in life for the sake of others. They're being used by God. So being in prison did not deter Paul's determination, his desire, his earnest desire to be glorified or magnified. The word magnified means to make great, means to enlarge. You know, magnifying glass, we get it. You know, I, I, the older I get, the more I have to use one of those, especially prescription bottles and whatever. And, but Paul's saying he wants Christ to be magnified through his body. New American Standard Version uses the word exalted. In ESV, it uses the word honored. Holman says highly honored, exalted. So in other words, folks ought to see Jesus in us rather than ourselves. And that puts a whole different spin on how we live life. We're not here to present ourselves. We're here to promote and present Jesus Christ. That's what, people, that's what we ought to want people to see. He says, I want people to see Christ because that's what the world needs. That's what our families need. That's what our churches need. That's what our culture needs. That's what our nation needs. Not right politics, policies. It needs Jesus Christ. And, and God has privileged me with being that light bulb that brings that light to, to the world around us. Because he's the only one, the only one, I'll say it again, the only one that can rescue, restore, brings direction, and sanity to life. And we have the privilege of being part of that program, don't we? And that's what Paul's saying here. You wonder, how does the, the world see Christ in us? What is it that they see? Well, they might see the character of Christ in his love and his graciousness and his compassion. You might see Christ in us when we live sacrificially to serve others as God calls us to. We might see Christ in us when we prioritize the things of God and people understand that Jesus is first in our lives. Or they might see it in our holiness. And that's a big one today, isn't it? To actually live different than the world lives as a result of knowing Christ. And that holiness is affects, is, should affect how we live. It should affect our music. So that we gravitate towards music that doesn't, not necessarily stimulates the flesh, but music that magnifies the Lord Jesus. Our entertainment, we should refrain from that which brings reproach to our Savior. Even in our recreation, it has a different place of priority in our lives than it does for the lost. And those are just some things. It, it should affect our marriage and our jobs and how we operate in life kind of neighbor we are, and so on. Because Paul says, I want Christ to be magnified, it says here, in my body. In my body. You know, I would tend to use the word life, but I think the Bible actually uses the word body because he wants, I think he, God wants to encapsulate the, the whole person. And especially the visible, because that's where the spiritual is lived out, isn't it? What we are on the inside is lived out on the outside, isn't it? We are, we are what we think. And so God says the body represents the whole life and the spiritual expression of it. It's what people sees. sees. 2 Corinthians 4.10 says this, Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifest in our body. And what people see in us. And it's not that God wants us to, wants to run out the door and turn into a bunch of legalists that are just going to do a bunch of holy things in order that people see Christ in us. No, this emanates from this attitude for me to live as Christ. It is the expression of the Christ life. It is the norm of the Christ life that we're talking about here. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. 
the, the, all of you a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who you have from God, and you're not your own? That's a good one. Do you remember that? We're not our own. We don't call our own shots. For you were bought with a price, and what a terrible and tremendous price that was. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God wants the whole of us. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God wants all of you. He doesn't want just our bodies to be a legalistic, you know, rule-oriented type people. He wants all of us. He wants the inside. He wants our hearts, which then will reflect itself in the body. And so we ask ourselves, do people see Christ in us? Good question to reflect on, isn't it? But then he goes on and gets, it gets even more serious when he says in the last phrase, whether by life or by death. It's like gulp. Isn't that kind of radical, Paul? What he's saying, he says, I don't care what man can do to me. I don't care what <coughs> comes my way in my life. I want Christ to be magnified. It might seem radical if we are those that are trying to save our lives, if we're trying to keep certain portions of our lives for ourselves or think we need to keep certain portions of our life in order to preserve them. But this passage kind of represents to us the fact that the Christian life is an abandonment to Christ, isn't it? Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so we lose it to the care of God as we serve God as a priority and recognize he's the one who keeps my life together. He's the one who preserves those things that are important to me and protects them in my life. And anything short of that mentality is lost, the Bible says, in our lives. Oh, we might go on living a decent life and we might have some success in our jobs and our finances and have nice homes and, you know, success in our adventures. But our success for eternity is lost unless we lose it for Jesus Christ. These are, these are important things to get, get, get our minds around because they all are related to this concept for to me to live is Christ. You know, we might, sometimes we might be inspired to say like Peter, I'll die for you, Lord. And we're going to say, I'm going to join with the Apostle Paul. And then we pull a Peter and deny him at the first opportunity. And this, this is a lifelong learning, isn't it? As we grow as we learn to die to self and trust God in our lives because he is the one who sustains and keeps. And that's why circumstances don't matter because God never changes. He's ever faithful. He never says, oops, sorry, I, you know, I, for, I forgot to watch over you today, does he? That well-known phrase by Jim Elliott had to, came to my mind, I just thought I had to repeat it this morning where he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's, that's all of us. That's our bodies. All of us. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. In reality, we can't really keep ourselves, can we? To gain what we cannot lose. And all these attitudes are reflection 
the byproduct of the attitude in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. Stated in the face of a death sentence, recognizing that to go on living was better for others, as he says in this context, but to go with Christ is gain. Gain. And he said, there's one reason to stay. One reason to stay on this earth. It's far better to be with Christ, we're told in this passage. And that is to live Christ, to serve Christ, to live for him, to enjoy him in our daily walk as we work with him in continuing the work of the gospel. Because to share in Christ's life is to share his, in his heart. If we're going to look to me to live is Christ, and it speaks of our union and oneness and walk with Christ in our lives as we are become the vessel for, his, for the expression of his life, then naturally we share his heart, or we ought to. That's kind of normal. If he's the one living through me, then his heart should be reflected in mine, and his heart is people. That's, the, that's his heart. We're, the, we're his creation, and he went to the cross to rescue us, pay the ultimate price. His heart is people, isn't it? And therefore, he inspires us and leads us and encourages us to reach people for Christ and encourage those others who are in Christ. You know, it's so easy to think that life consists of the abundance of things we accomplish. I'll just put a little twist on that phrase. Because more and more these days, it seems like man, humanity, including Christians, are turning to task-oriented people. And we feel good if our list got done today. That was a good day. Is it? No, if that's what God had for us today, hallelujah, amen, because God always gives us time in the day to accomplish what he wants us to get done. But is that really our first focus? Well, working is part of our nature. We're made to work. God created us that way. It's our responsibility before God to contribute to life. But those things are secondary to reaching people. In fact, those, th those physical objectives we have in life are simply the means and the opportunity to accomplish a higher calling. People. Reaching people for Christ, encouraging people who are saved in Christ and their walk with Christ, sharing the life and the love of the Lord Jesus with others. You know, in the book of Jude, uh, it's a book of apostasy and of ungodliness in the last days. And there's really a few points that just leap off the page in regards to our response, our focus, a believer's focus, in the last days. The first one in verse 3 is to contend for the faith, faith isn't it? Verse 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once, delivered, once for all delivered to the saints. So we're to contend for the truth of God's word. We're to stand for its truth and its righteousness in our, in our lives and in, in our culture. The second thing that jumps off the page amidst the description of the rampant ungodliness and apostasy is in regards to serving Christ and affecting others. Verses 20 to 21 says, But you, beloved, building, up, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, it goes on to say, making a, a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. 
And so we see in these verses some primary focuses. One is to contend for the truth of God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and we need to know accurately and truly what God is saying to us. The second is to be growing in that faith. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Be growing in our most holy faith. The third thing then as a result is affect others. Have compassion. Make a difference. Others say with fear and so on. And to look around us, and it sure seems that we're in the last days. Now, the end of the verse tells us that it is God who can keep us from falling. It is God who accomplished us that in us. And, and we take that point from this passage that in the midst of our standing for Christ, there are people around us in desperate need of a Savior, bro- those who have broken lives without direction and meaning. You look around us and you think of the craziness of some of the attitudes and philosophies and policies, and you think, where does this stuff come from? They don't, have, they don't have a foundation. They don't have a biblical foundation of truth to stand on. Instead, they're adopting these attitudes and policies of destructive ideas that are going to destroy, not build up. Along with that, they're destined for hell, and we have the answer. We have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. It's the truth concerning Jesus Christ and his saving power. And that's quite a privilege in reality to be able to lay self and my ambitions aside in order to bring hope and deliverance to others. That's the privilege. That's what Jesus did. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his place at the right hand of God in order to rescue and save. And that's the heart that works in us. But in this context in Philippians 1, what is important here is the focus here. Is first of all, for to me to live is Christ. That's the essence of life. That's the motivation to be a servant. That is the source from which we can affect others. To know Christ, to walk with him, to share in his life, to be a vessel through whom Jesus lives. That's really, really hard to grasp, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Jesus explained that in John 15. We talked about the abiding life. We actually, in reality, share in the life of the Lord Jesus as we walk with him each day. We understand one of the the ways that is accomplished, according to 2 Corinthians 3, is that the Spirit of God engraves the Word of God in our hearts. He changes us on the inside as he makes us more Christ-like. Serving Christ. Christ is simply the byproduct of growing to love Christ, isn't it? Coming, becoming close with him, to, to realize that we walk together with him. There's other passages that contribute to this. Let's go to Colossians, our scripture reading. I read that for that reason this morning. We recognize Colossians 3 describes the same concept that Jesus described in John 15, as well that's mentioned in Philippians 1 here in Colossians 3. We see these instructions given to us to seek the things of Christ in this passage revolve around two phrases that are similar to what we're reading in Philippians 1.21. And the first one comes up to, tells us that your life is hidden with Christ in God in verse 3. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, the essence of life, of the Christian life, 
is, is, is that oneness with Christ that we can enjoy in our daily walk. But first he says, you died. What does that refer to? What does that mean? Well, you, you refer to the old self here. In this passage, we, this drives towards later in, ch in this chapter, in the middle of verses, around verses 10 and 11, that talks about the old man and the new man. And you is the old self, the sinful self. And we're born into, into life, we're born with a propensity to sin. We call it a sin nature. The Bible calls it the old man. Sometimes the Bible just uses the, the three-letter word sin to describe the tendency of our flesh to gravitate towards evil and its rebellion against God. We are born of that nature. It dominates mankind's life. We can't escape it. It's all we know. It expresses itself, it, it, itself in selfishness towards others and in rebellion towards God. That's its primary attributes. But for the believer, the good news is that, is that its domination, its power over us, its control and influence over us was broken at the cross. Romans 6 is all about that, isn't it? The fact that we've been freed from sin. And that's not necessarily referring to sin's condemnation, though that is true at the cross. We've been freed from the condemnation of sin, which is eternal hell. But Romans 6 is about being freed from the power and influence of sin in our lives, that nature that, that plagues us. It's, and we've been freed from its control. Because at the cross, Jesus defeated sin and broke its power over us. I often call Romans 6 the Emancipation Proclamation of the Believer, where God declares us free. Reminds us that we've been made set free from the influence of sin in our lives. Now we still have that nature as believers within us, and that's why life is a choice, isn't it? Are we going to walk in the flesh, or are we going to walk in the spirit? We see those challenges throughout the pages of Scripture. But the point is, the Bible tells us that we no longer have to serve it because we died to it. We were freed from it. That's what he's saying. The word death could be defined as a separate, or explained at least as a separation. We're no longer under his control or influence or power because we're now new creations in Christ. You died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the new man. That's the new creation. That's the new life we have in Christ. That's what it means to be born from above or born again, is receive new life, and that life is hidden with Christ in God. And that's why the admonitions in this passage is, are made possible because we have new life. You see, apart from Christ, we are incapable of producing righteousness. They that are in the flesh cannot please God, the Bible says. But now, the second phrase mentioned here is when Christ, who is our life, appears. We see another reference to that intimacy. Christ, Christ who is our life. Another description of what we see in Philippians 1.21. The word hidden means concealed, doesn't it? And what an amazing way to describe the intimacy of our union and relationship with Christ. In the, in, the, in the grammar of the passage, the word's in the passive, which means it's something that's been done to us. This is a standing we've been placed into. This is not something we obtain through faithfulness and diligence and commitment. It's a, it's a standing we enjoy. We are new creations in Christ. We have new life in Christ. We have this union with Christ to enjoy. It's something that's been done to us. It's in the perfect tense, meaning that it is ongoing forever. It's, it's, something we, it's not something we lose, ever. Now, we might lose the enjoyment of it because we choose not to. But when we choose to walk with Christ, we can enjoy that oneness that we have with him. And that's such a picture of grace in our lives, isn't it? Christ, who is our life. 
And that's a wall. As it goes on in verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears. And so we, so we have a choice as Christians, don't we? We can choose to live our lives for ourselves. We can choose to live religious lives, which is, you know, Sunday go to meeting Christians, nod to God when I pray before meals. Or we can discover this, the wonder and the intimacy of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ in a personal way. And this personally, each of us, it's nothing that no church, no clergy, no pastor, even no spouse can impose upon you. There's a choice we individually make to seek him. And that's why, the, that's why the admonitions here then, if you were raised with Christ, another description of that new life, if you're raised, if you've been saved, if you have new life, then what's normal? Seek the things which are above. For Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek him. And it only made possible because the standing of our relationship in him, we can seek. And then we can set our affection, our minds on things above, not on things on earth. Then in verse 5, we can put to death our members. We no longer have to live out the ugliness described in verse 5. Because in verse 7, that was in the past. You, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. That means you were consumed and enslaved by them. But now verse 8, Put off those things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man. Renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. All descriptions of what it means to walk with Christ. Put on this new life. That means choose to wear it like a cloak or a coat. Let it permeate your body, your life. Paul prayed in Galatians 4.19 my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. And that's, that's the essence of the Christian life. We so often define our Christian lives by, legal, by legalistic ruts, just a few morals. And someone has said a rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. And, and that's often how Christians live their lives. I go to church once in a while. You know, I've learned not to do this, and I've learned to control my mouth, and I've learned not to do this. And, you know, and that's, though those are maybe byproducts of growth in Christ. God wants to bring us back in this passage of Philippians chapter 1 and here in Colossians chapter 3 to the focus of our lives, and that's Jesus Christ. We have the God of eternity, the Almighty God who transcends creation, who came to redeem us. That's an amazing story in itself, isn't it? And then as he restored us to a right relationship with him and having and raising us with Christ and giving us new life in Christ, he wants to walk with us. And reminded that's why God originally created us. So he created Adam and Eve. He wanted, he, wanted, he wanted company. He wanted to enjoy life together. And that's the union being described here. Another passage in Galatians chapter 2, if you want to turn back there, just a few books back to your left describes this relationship as well. And I thought it was worth looking at this morning. For to me to live is Christ is described this way in verse 20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. There's that reference to dying to self. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Not I, but Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The essence of life, once again, is Jesus Christ. That's his focus in life. And he goes on to say, the life which I now live in the flesh, I'm still here, I still have flesh, and that's a sinful flesh, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he says, I live that life by faith. That's what it means. And so he explains a little bit to us how we live the Christ life. Well, first, obviously, is an attitude, a decision, a submission to allowing Jesus to live in us, but it really comes in the form of biblical teaching because that's what, where our faith is in. Our faith is in what God has revealed to us through the scriptures. And when God brings something to mind upon our, to bear upon our lives and, says, and he says this, it's when we, by faith, embrace it as true, that God makes it real in our lives. And the Christ begins to be reflected. It's just really that simple. And, and, and from that perspective, I live by faith in the Son of God. And when Jesus says, whether you're reading your Bible yourself, memorizing some scripture, meditating on the word, hearing a message, whether a podcast or in a Sunday morning service or in a Bible study, whatever it is, how God, when God speaks to your word, speaks through his word, the word brings instruction and it brings conviction. And when we say, yes, Lord, that's what faith is. Yes, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. There's some, there's some attitude adjustment that needs to be going on in my life. Then God writes it in our hearts. He makes it part of real in our lives. And that's amazing. It's only something the Spirit of God could do. But Paul says, in order for me to realize, not I but Christ, I must live by faith. I must believe not only that the overarching principle that God is leading and guiding in my life, but I must believe the specific instructions he gives me as true for me. Is real in my life. It's one thing to teach the Bible. It's one thing to be able to repeat a promise or a principle of Scripture. It's another thing to, to get where the rubber meets the road. Like being in prison and being able to say, I'm rejoicing. Because God has a plan. I still want Christ to be magnified in my body. And so when unwelcome circumstances come our way, we trust the specific promises of God's word. And God begins to form Christ in us. It's only his work. It is so sad when we take a, you know, a rule-oriented, legalistic approach to the Christian life, we, we, we fall so far short of the joy of walking with Christ and of being changed from the inside out as God forms Christ in us. That passage of regarding to abiding, another passage we won't have to turn into this morning, but Jesus kind of summarizes what he's telling the disciples in regards to the abiding life. <coughs> In verse 7, he says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. He says, if you abide in me. It's a choice. The abide means to make your home with Christ. Live with Christ. Make him comfortable in your life and yours in him. Second thing he says, then if my words abide in you, well, for God's words to abide in us, to be at home in our lives, means that we believe them, we've accepted them, we live in light of them. In fact, really, Colossians indicates we should be seeking them. Because everything else we've learned in life is based on humanistic philosophy. We need the light of the truth of God's word to make sure we're on the right track. Allow it to make those adjustments and changes in my life. If my words abide in you, if they become part of you, real to you, if they become at home in your life, 
Then you have that intimacy. Ask what you will. There's prayer. Let's add that there too. Prayer. And prayer here is the expression of oneness in the, with the person and purposes of Jesus Christ. Because when he say, ask what you will, it'll be done for you, means that if you are having God's word abide in you, and you're abiding in Christ, you're going to want what he wants, and he's going to want what you want, because there's a oneness. That's what God wants to bring us in line with his purposes, and that's why prayer is powerful, because it's, it's really the expression of the alignment of our lives with his. And God says, come on, join me. It's prescribing that unity, the intimacy we have of the living Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can enjoy that through the intimacy of your prayer life. Back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul goes on to say that this living Christ is, is really the, his, his greatest desire, but the outworking of that is service towards others, doesn't he? He says that to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Because he recognized the normal expression of Christ living in me was a love and a concern and a service towards others. And Paul said that's the only reason to stay, to continue to enjoy the life of Christ as, it, as he lives through me in his desire to affect others. You know, in reality, serving Christ apart from enjoying him, walking with him. It's burdensome, laborious, when we're simply duty-bound. But when we come to know him, as Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him, as we walk with him, sacrificial service becomes a privilege, not a burden. Keeping our lives together is not as important as helping others in their lives, because Jesus takes care of us. You know, I thought of this while I was preparing this message that, you know, when you go on vacation, you know, you know our wives, you know, like to leave, if you're going to go away for a while, like to leave the house in order, right? Dishes are done, laundry's done, washing windows, rubbing the floors, and it's like, no one's going to be here. Let's go. Well, they want to come home, you know, to a clean house. I understand that. But many of us live our Christian lives that way. That we think that we have to have everything ordered before we leave this earth. And you know what? It ain't going to matter, is it? It isn't going to matter. Because Jesus is the one who keeps our life in order when we put him first. Because he's the one who takes care of me. It won't matter if the laundry's done, there's dirty dishes in the sink, the bed's not made. I'm not promoting sloppiness. I already do enough of that in my own home. But I'm promoting seeking Christ first and allowing him to take care of those details because he promises to. And then when we do that, we can have a tremendous effect upon others as we shine brightly, as we live salty lives for his glory. Let's pray. Father, this is a passage that we're not even worthy to teach, Father, and to try to explain. Father, it's only something that you can impress upon our hearts, what it means to live is Christ. What it means to say, not I, but Christ. What it means to recognize that Christ who is our life and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. All these ways you describe the privilege we have in our relationship and our standing as being new creations in Christ and being able to share in his life, to be that vessel of the expression of his love and his goodness and his holiness and his mercy. And so, Father, we pray that you would make it real to us, that you would take these passages 
and impress them upon our hearts and help us to understand, Father, for all that individual, as individuals are at different stages and phases of life, yet, Father, we're thankful that your spirit can prevail upon us to teach us the things we need to learn. So use your word for your glory in our hearts, we pray now in Jesus' name.